0: Good morning, good afternoon or good evening wherever you are in the world at this moment in time. And now that we're all out and about and travelling again or at least some of us, it does feel important to check in with you. I'm Damien Barr welcoming you to another Salon exclusive and once again we've been going through our book post to find the best new books. And there are loads of great debuts and this is a debut memoir. It's called Muddy People, A Muslim Coming of Age and it's by Sarah El-Sayed. It's the story of a family migrating from Egypt to Australia and the challenges they face in adapting to a different culture. They moved to Brisbane just a few months after the events of 9-11, meaning they have to overcome all kinds of racism from the majority white community. And boy, is this a redefinition of microaggression. These scenes are diffused by Sarah's ability to find humour even when things seem grim and her Baba's lost in translation mishaps are relatable for anybody navigating a new culture. Sarah also grew up with pressures at home where there were a lot of rules stemming from her Baba's cultural expectations of young women. Rules like good girls don't wear bikinis and no moving out without a husband. But there are contradictory social norms emerging from reconciling tradition with her new lived reality. As The Guardian puts it, this book is a reflection of moving between the lines that are drawn for us as children, as girls, as migrants, as we come of age. Here's a reading from Muddy People by Sarah.
1: Hello, my name is Sarah El-Sayed and I am thrilled to be reading exclusively for the listeners of Damien Barr's Literary Salon from my new book, Muddy People. I'm going to be reading an extract from one of the early chapters of the memoir. This captures some of my earliest memories as a child growing up in Alexandria in Egypt, and our experience as a family migrating to Brisbane in Australia in southeast Queensland. And all of the conflicts that we experienced growing up in what is a white dominant community here, those external conflicts of facing Islamophobia and racism as Arab Muslims, but also those internal conflicts of our own family expectations and the pressures that I felt as a young Muslim woman coming to understand who I am, my faith and what my future could look like. This chapter is called, These are the Rules. Mama learned early on that her daughter was different from her son. Muhammad threw tantrums. Sus stayed quiet if he gave her something sweet. In Arabic, a sus, a cavity, is what you get after eating too much sugar. My parents gave me the nickname when I was four. By that time, I had two gold crowns and twice as many holes in my teeth. In my mouth now, one would struggle to find a tooth not stuffed with a filling. I was never in the habit of maintaining good oral health. We aren't brought up that way. We don't nurture what isn't healthy. When our grass isn't as green as we want, we concrete over it. Muhammad was difficult from the beginning stuck sideways inside my mother. He didn't want to come out. It's too much, the delivering doctor said in Arabic, throwing his hands in the air. He won't budge. I don't know what to do. He left the room to pray and came back smelling like cigarettes. By that time, Mama was screaming and Mohammed was crowning. My father was happy his first child was a boy. They named him Mohammed, like every other baby boy, born in Alexandria, Egypt on that day. When my grandparents came to see him, the nurse brought the wrong baby. That's not my son, said Baba. His son, of course, was the one with the big nose. It was like a hook, Nana tells me, reminiscing about the birth of her first grandchild. She makes a hook shape with her finger, in case words don't do justice to the severity. It was big, Mama concurs. Huge! So ugly! like his grandfather's, an Arab nose for sure. And he was green, all over, green like an alien, in a big nose, very unattractive, a truly ugly child. My father describes my birth as no problems. The biggest hitch, in fact, was Mohammed asking for squid sandwiches. "'Subit! Subit!' shouted the toddler, standing up in the front seat of our Lada Neva. Baba drove him to the sandwich shop after dropping Mama at the hospital. I ask Mama about my birth, and she describes being knocked out by an anaesthetic, then being shaken awake by doctors telling her to push, then passing out, then waking up to the smell of squid, then seeing the contents of her stomach on the floor. Mohammed never slept through the night as a baby. Seuss never woke up. I didn't even wake up during my first silzale earthquake. I was a newborn, the weight of a milk bottle. My brother was the weight of a small cow, Mama says. The zilzale struck in the middle of the night. Your father picked you up out of your cot and ran downstairs straight away, says Mama. And he left the big fat two-year-old to me. Seven flights of stairs. Seven flights of stairs. Mama already had an Australian passport because she'd lived in Melbourne before. In the 1970s, her father got a job at an architecture firm. Nana remembers the names, Glenferry and Malvern, and a tram on their doorstep. Nana worked in a library, while Mama went to preschool with little girls named Liz. They stayed until Mama was ten, then Nana took Mama and fled back to Alexandria, leaving her husband behind. Nana didn't mind Australia, but there was no place beautiful enough to make her forget the hate she had for her husband. Mama loved Australia, and promised herself that she would return one day. I found it very strange, Baba tells me, that your mother was so obsessed with Australia. Every year, from 1992 to 2001, she would ask me, can we go to Australia now? Can we go to Australia now? Like a little girl asking to go to the toilet. I don't know why she wanted to go so badly. I kept saying, no, I have business here, we can't go. But it got a bit hard. The business. The money. So I said, okay, fine, let's go. My parents decided to leave Egypt for good. The economic uncertainty and political unrest that would eventually erupt into a revolution in 2011 was showing its signs. In 2001, Baba began compiling a binder of all the suburbs in Brisbane, comparing house prices, schools, jobs. He spent weeks on the computer researching. Since Mama was already a citizen, her children could become Australians too. But Baba had to get a visa. Are you sick? I asked as he prepared to see a physician. We didn't visit doctors in my family, because Mama was a doctor. We only had to show Mama our cut, or the colour of our poo, and she'd figure out what to do. Baba seeing someone else was odd. No, but I have to get checked before they let us go, he said. Wife, you aren't sick. These are the rules, he said. Years later, Baba tells me what the physician said that day. There was a shadow behind my heart. He didn't know what it was. He just saw a shadow there. But he let me go. To him, I was healthy. Baba places both his hands on his chest. You know, when I was young and I played with my friends, I always had a problem with breathing. I couldn't run for so long. And I think, I know, it was the shadow. If the doctor had known at that time, if he had known what it was, maybe he would have tried to treat it. Maybe it couldn't have been treated. Either way, we wouldn't have come here. We would have stayed in Egypt. I would be alive or dead, but I would be alive or dead there, not here. The shadow has been behind my heart for a very long time. Allah put it there a very long time ago. In his bedroom, twelve years after his first doctor's visit since marrying my mother, Baba's lymph nodes swell and press against the nerves in his back, his abdomen and behind his heart, and he falls to his knees. There was a room in our Alexandria flat, with couches no one was allowed to sit on, a carpet no one was allowed to walk on, no muddy footprints, no feet at all. Most families I knew had this, a salon, a facade for friends, a gold-framed picture of my parents on their wedding day hung on the wall, It was near the balcony, and in the afternoons the light would catch on the frame and on the edges of the furniture. When we moved, we took at least one thing from every room. From the living room, videotapes of Teletubbies and family celebrations. From the kitchen, plums to eat on the way to the airport, which ended up giving us all diarrhoea. From Mohammeds in my bedroom, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. From my parents' room, the Qur'an. But we did not take a thing from the salon, from that sunny room. That room was to be preserved as it was, at all costs. My parents are still there, hanging on the wall.
0: Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your stories with us and I know just what it takes to put a memoir out there in the world. That was Sarah Al-Sayed reading exclusively for The Salon. Muddy People is published by Greystone Press and is available now in all good bookshops and it's a great one to get from your local indie or as ever, you can get it from us through our bookshop on bookshop.org or you can head to your local library. I'd be very grateful if you could share this episode Especially with our listeners down under And we have lots of them Hello everybody, hello Gertrude and Alice shoppers Please make sure that you subscribe to our podcast On your preferred streaming service So you don't miss an episode And we've got some new ones coming up Thank you for listening And join us again soon